Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. been going through the six core values of Glory Church. If you were here last week, uh, we, we talked about uh, living in truth as one of our values. And really the reason is um, people say values, but really their values are always, are always on display. They're spoken through their actions, their attention, their time, and their money. Think about it. Any organization that you know, you know their real values by what they give their time to, their attention, their, their focus, uh, what they, they allow their uh, not just verbal spoken words, but their literal actions speak louder. Uh, and I want to be a church, if you were here last week, that, that is very clear on what our values are so that our attention speaks it, that our focus, that our time, that our resources, our money speaks it, and most importantly, our actions. And so last week, we talked about living in God's truth, but this week, I, uh, I don't know if you're allowed as a pastor to have like a favorite value, but I would say, um, I would say out of all the six, this is the one that God keeps pressing. You, you ever had like a, a, a sunburn or a wound and uh, when someone touches it or pats you on the back, it just, ah, it, it just hits you. That's what I feel like this value is for me. It is that wound, that soft spot that God knows needs to be strengthened in my own life. And so it is all about love. Uh, you'll get into that really quickly. But the question that we will uh, ask again and again is what are we living for? What are we living for? As a people, what are we living for? Because I got to tell you, I have discovered really quickly in my life that there is often a great divide in what I live for and what I know that God has, is, and will always in his nature be living for. Uh, And that's a very hard and... (laughs) humbling thing to remind myself that that every day we as his people have this uh large divide between who who and what he is for and who and what we are often for because God in his very nature think about it he is for fallen humanity he is for brokenness he is for those who are sinful because God remember when we were still sinners uh, Christ came and died while we were yet still sinners. He died for the ungodly, and he's for. And we we, we love this idea, but whew, it starts getting really hard when we realize that uh, we then are called to be for those as well. See, God though He is for fallen humanity. I got to tell you, often um, I'm not <laughs> right. They, it's often the 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 people who are who are who are fallen or who are who are broken or who are stuck in a cycle, a sin cycle that we like to not be around as believers because they are deemed as unsafe or they are deemed as un, uh, unapproachable or they are deemed as as unfit for our, our time. And though we would never say that, our actions, our attention, our time. And our money says it. 
And so I want to be a church that is for people. If you've been following along, uh, we are, our second value is to love his neighbor. And that comes uh, from a very important story. I'm sure you're going, to re- you're, you're going to know it right when we open it up. Um, but I'm hopefully going to talk through a, a piece of it, an angle of it that maybe we haven't seen. I read this story, the, the passage of the Good Samaritan, uh, a year and a half ago and never saw it through this mindset, uh, God just kept hitting me with, what are you for? But what are your actions really for? And he just kept bringing this like for word. And then I, I just read the Good Samaritan and realized out of everyone in the story, there's only one man who is for his neighbor the Good Samaritan. And so we're going to look at it through a different, hopefully a different way, not just this word love, but you cannot love who you are not for. You cannot love who your, 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 your value uh, is given to, who your compassion, who your time, attention, uh, your focus is towards. Uh, you cannot love. And so I'm really excited. There's a moment when this, uh, this lawyer comes and, and asks Jesus in his presence, he says, uh, what is what is the way to get into heaven? And Jesus sort of turns the table on him and asks, what do you think? And so the lawyer responds in this. He says, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what he says. He, he knows the right thing. Uh, he's very educated in the Mosaic Law. He, he's, he's, a, he's, he's very well known in it. But something interesting happens because Jesus says, okay, well, go do it. Uh, he says, go do it. But then he does this caveat. If you know the story, this is my favorite part. Um, he does this little caveat, but he says, but who is my neighbor? Uh, this is almost like the, uh, I got, I know that I need to love you and I need to love everyone, but like, do I need to love my dad who walked out? Do I need to love that person across the street who literally shuns me every time I come in? Do I need to love the, 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 the person, the, the parent, the, the sibling who, who left a long time ago, who betrayed me? Do I, who is my neighbor? Really, the, the, the lawyer, the, the guy, well-educated, he would just want to know what's the caveat. Who are the people that I don't have to love? Uh, who are the people that I, it is okay if I don't, if I don't live for them? And then Jesus says, you know, he says the most iconic parable ever. I'm going to read it rather quickly. Uh, I want you to, to, those of you who've probably heard it before, I want you to visualize every single time that you've probably read this, heard it, spoke it, talked about it. And as we read it quickly, uh, we're going to then dive into it and hopefully in a way that we haven't before. Um, so in Luke 10, Jesus responds to this man, who is my neighbor with this? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. I love that it's always half dead. Um, A a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But then a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. It's very interesting. Why did he have oil and wine? How was he so willing to to give it? 
Then he put, on the man, he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And so Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell under the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. The word is also the one who had compassion on him. And Jesus responds, he told him, go and do likewise. And the story ends. I'm going to tell you, when I look at this, the way we're going to focus on this this morning is through this, that there are three cannots when living life that is four people. There are three cannots when being four people. Three cannots, three things that you cannot do. And the first one is this, because if we're going to be a church that is four people, then I cannot be four what I avoid. And I'll, I'll, this is, so I'm going to move this over here so that you guys can see it while I do sit down. Uh, I get overwhelmed by this sometimes, how often I avoid things. I cannot be for that which I avoid. And in this story, there are two characters, godly characters, who are seen as avoiders of this man. Uh, they, they see him, they notice him, yet they avoid him on the other side. And we often look at it with our, uh, our worldly mindset in today's world that we can look and say, why don't you just call 911 and then move on with your day? Like there, there's so many practical things that we in our day could do to someone who is seemingly half dead. And, and so we just bypass the extreme case. We bypass how understandably um, right this act was for these men to do. Because they were, it was one a Levite. The other was, was a, a, a believer in the Hebrew faith, the Ju- Judaism. And both of them, if they were to touch be found with someone who is bleeding, who is deemed as unclean, then they would be unclean to move ahead in their ritual duty. Like the, if, if they were seen touching him, if, especially if he was a dead man and wasn't uh, cleaned in the correct way for a Levite to be, be seen near, then they would lose their ability to operate in the church. We often forget that. But these guys are void, and you cannot be for who you avoid But we often don't realize how spiritual this is. They thought, if I touch them, then everything I've worked towards will be nullified. If I help them, then it's going to hurt what I'm going for. If I help them, then what will be seen by everyone around me? And this is where I think the parallel is huge. How many times do you have in your mind a goal, an ideal, a set agenda. There is this, this plan that you have. Maybe it's not, obviously, to be a Levite, to be ritualistically clean, to go and do your work that day in the temple, but it is you have this set agenda, these tasks, these things to cross off, these to-dos, and by not helping that man, they are seemingly doing the correct thing. But you cannot be for who we avoid and a lot of our to-dos are always avoiding people. We see them, we hear them, we notice them, but we avoid them. 
and we justify it because God has given us a purpose or God has, has given us a responsibility that day to go to work or God has given us a responsibility like or we're late and we got to get on time and we don't realize all that avoiding can do. But I wrote this down. The odds are that we don't experience this specific scene that a thief would come and destroy take someone's stuff, leaving them half dead. The odds are you won't, you won't see that tomorrow. But every day we have to realize that there is a thief who has come, left so many people in this world half dead, loss of hope, loss of what they deemed as good. Everything that they had in that moment sort of fell away, was taken, their joy, their hope, their peace, what they thought was peace, the enemy loves to steal, kill, and destroy. And there are those people half dead that we look, we have looked. I wrote this down. We've looked, they're maybe trashed their way of life, the enemy. He has left them feeling alone, worthless, without anything, lifeless, in misery, pain, hurt. And though they're not bleeding, we still avoid them. Though they're not seen as this man lying on the ground, we label them as too far gone. Their emotions are too messy. That marriage should have done things long ago and they haven't. It's too much time. We deem them as, as unapproachable. We like to say they chose that road. How often do we do that, right? What if you would have done that to that man? Like, what if you would have said, well, you chose this road where robbers go? <laughs> and that was your, your excuse, but we do that often. There's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but we say they chose that road, and I have some obligations of my own. You see, we cannot be who, we cannot be for who, we avoid. And so I got to tell you, uh, I, I get this because deep down, I give my attention, my time, my focus on the very different things, but outward avoider, avoiders will always become inward accusers. I'm going to say that again. Outward avoiders will always become inward accusers. And the sad thing about accusing is that there's no way Christ's peace, his hope, his love can be found. I mean, let's just pause and ask, like, how many times have we accused someone in our brain, in our mind this past week? And in that accusation, inwardly, we did nothing externally except avoid the situation that we knew we probably should have gone to. That person who we could tell was struggling, that, uh, that, that husband or wife that we, uh, we did not want to dive into it. We were too tired. We had a hard day at work. We came home, and we were just not willing. Maybe tomorrow, and we avoid. We avoid. We avoid. And in the process, we become inward accusers. But I wrote this down, that the second we take on the role of the accuser is the moment we dismiss our responsibility as ambassadors, people who show Christ. I want to be a church, I'll be honest. I want to be a church that will not avoid people, that goes out of our way, that pauses what we're doing. And I'm a very structured guy. I, I, I get stressed out. Let me tell you, I get stressed out when things change, when plans change, when, uh, when, when what I expect doesn't come through. But God is constantly showing me in your expectations, you're already setting yourself up to avoid people. Think about that. In our expectations for the day, we already set ourselves up to avoid people. 
but we cannot be for who we avoid. Second one is I cannot be for what I am above. Paul writes in a, in the, to the church in Galatian church. He, he writes to the church telling them to not think too highly of themselves when they're struggling. Uh, he tells them to, when you carry one another's burdens, I want you to do it with, with patience and kindness, but do not think too highly of yourself because you too have your own struggles. And I think often when we serve, when we love, it's often from above. And what we don't realize is when these Levites do choose to love, it will be from above. It will be from their, their position as, as a Levite after the man's clean, then they will love as that position of a Levite. But it wasn't fitting, and so it wasn't their time to love yet. And we often do this, but I cannot be for what I am above. When we look at this story, there's only one man that wasn't above the needs of this half-dead, mugged man. It was a Samaritan. He wasn't above the needs. In our modern-day Christian church, we're very quick of setting a time where we can be for people's struggles, for people's uh, beauty. We could be for people's issues. But then the rest of the time, it's above. And we, I can see that because we set this hero uh, mindset where we come in, we swoop in, save the day, and then fly away. That's loving from above. To swoop in, save the day, and fly away. I got to tell you, too often in my past, I've swooped into an issue, saved it, and then left. Can I tell you that has nothing to do with saving? Because our Savior showed a different model. He came in. It says he, being the very nature of God, did not consider his equality with God to be something to be taken advantage of, but because he was God, he humbled himself. And I think, I think we don't realize how connected that is, that because God was God, he humbled himself. Because that's a nature quality of God, is humility, is servanthood. Now that's the character of Jesus, not because he was Jesus, this man who needed to get the work done for God. No, because he was God. He humbled. And our God always comes down and lifts from underneath. He walks and touches the, the feet of the disciples who were just walking around in the mud, the uh, literal filth uh, of the sewer system that day. Uh, they walked through it. Our God is the God who cleaned those feet, who washed them, who cared for them, who, who rubbed shoulders with people who were ungodly. You see, he was never above people, yet I got to tell you more often, I do. There was a moment when I was listening, um, it was when Kate and I were engaged, and I went to this conference, and God challenged me, do you love out of genuine love, or do you love out of pity love? Do you love out of genuine love, or do you love out of pity love? Because it's so easy for us to have pity, to feel sorry, but instantly, what is that? It is a, oh, I'm so sorry, kind of love. Hands on your knees, looking down, kind of sorry. And that is not love at all. That is not how we are for people. That is not what this good Samaritan did at all. He took what he had and gave it for. He bandaged the wounds. He touched it. He, he got dirty with the man. He was on his, he, he got off of his high horse, literally, his donkey, to put the man up and to take care of him, to walk with him, to lead him, 
to a different place. And I got to tell you, often our love is out of pity. I wrote this down, and I want to get these words specifically because this humiliated me. Those who have no homes, those deemed unlovely, those who are annoying in our workplace, those who are poor, the social outcasts, those who are unwanted, those who have social anxiety, they do not need us who have homes, who live lovely by the world's standards, who aren't poor, who smell nice, who are not social outcasts, who know how to work a crowd, who are wanted. They don't need us to throw them a bone. Because from above, we do that. They need us to be their friends, to live life with, to walk the world with, to rub shoulders with, to realize we're on the same street as, to know that we are on the same place. My, my issue is different, but I have marital problems as well. Our issue may be different, but I have addictions of my own. Our, issue may, my, our issues may be different, but I still struggle with shame, lies, wrong beliefs daily. And I respond with anger and pain just like you. What they need is not this throwing a bone and then walking away until the next time you have the ability to throw the bone in your mind. The excess time. They need someone who's just committed to living life with them. Which is at the core what we all need. How dare we set up this uh, uh, unlovely and lovely? We all need it. We all need someone who's on our street, who holds our hand when, when things are rough. We all need someone who, who will come in and walk with us. We all need it. We just have expected that for our life and to not show that for someone else's. So I want you to ask yourself, do you love out of pity or do I love out of compassion for genuine love cannot be formed from pity at all and the last one this is the hardest so I cannot be for who I avoid I cannot be for who I'm above and I cannot be for what I enable this is the hardest thing I cannot be for what I enable guys we are quick to be enablers of sin. We are quick to be enablers of injustice. Uh, we are quick. We, are, we, are see, we see it. We are told it. We hear about it. We know about it, yet we do nothing about it. We cannot be for that which we enable. Have you ever had an, an enabler in your life uh, who, who you know just you have these bad habits and just their presence, they're like, yeah, eat another bag of chips. Let's do it together. Uh, and it's that small thing but enabler is hard to get through. It's a, hard, it's a hard thing to overcome, and yet we are people's enablers. We are our neighbor's enablers just because we know, yet we do nothing. We acknowledge the unhealthy marriage of our friends, but we keep quiet about it. We acknowledge that our spouse is, is, is still struggling with, with what we're no longer struggling with, yet we do not do anything about it. We acknowledge that things have been left unspoken in our friendships, in our family, in our marriages, but we keep quiet about it. We acknowledge the injustice, the racism and poverty in our city, yet we keep quiet about it. We acknowledge our friends who are compromising their faith, yet we keep quiet about it. 
We acknowledge our friends that do not have faith of their own, yet we do nothing about it. We acknowledge the cycle of anger and bitterness and fear and insecurity, but we do nothing about it. We enable. We enable silence. We enable pain. We enable sin. We enable false beliefs. We enable fear. We enable lies. I, at all the time, uh, I enable things. We enable in our children. Those who have kids, like, we enable fears in our kids by not speaking the opposite again and again. And that takes so much time. I get it. It takes so much time. But we cannot be for who we enable. I think the issue is this. We are so quick to hearing and then keeping. Let's look at this story, because uh, it would be funny. Funny in a is probably the wrong sense of the word, um, but it would be funny to watch a little play of the Good Samaritan who sees this man's struggle, hears him moaning, and then decides to keep it. There's a difference between keeping. We like to keep secrets, we like to keep it in. It would be interesting to be like, oh, you're hurt? Oh, man, what happened? Tell me the whole story. I cannot believe that happened to you. Oh, that stinks. You were what? They took what? All right, well, man, let me just, like, help you cover this up. Here's, here's, some, uh, here's a tumbleweed I can cover you with. Here's a rock. We'll keep this here, and now I'll just keep going. You see, often we keep things. We keep burdens. And there's a very big difference between keeping and carrying. Paul to the, the Galatian church tells them to carry one another's burdens. That's not keeping secrets. That's carrying burdens. There's a difference because being for someone means that you're not just staying there keeping, but caring will always mean momentum, movement. Think about it. Keeping means stationary. Carrying means you're moving somewhere. No one would just be like, hey, can you carry this for me? And then just stay there. I mean, that would be really strange. You ask someone to carry something because you're going somewhere. And I, for, I think we forget that we, and it goes back to uh, we avoid, we're above, we don't actually like going places with people who are deemed out of our capacity to love. And this is why, because at the end of the day, it involves carrying something with them instead of just keeping it. What if you actually decided to carry the burdens of your friend's marriage that has been struggling? What would that look like? Well, it works more than just keeping their secrets. It works more, like it's, it's way greater than just keeping it internal or praying on your own. But notice what this man does. To carry a burden, being for someone, means that your life is moving with them to a better place. He, the Good Samaritan sees the man cares for him there, is, is not avoiding, not above, and he's also not enabling because now he's carrying him somewhere. He's carrying him to a place of healing, a place where he can, he can be uh, seen, known, and then provides even extra resources to see that the job gets done. Right. It's no longer the, it's not the innkeeper's obligation, but now it's a, I'm empowering you to care for him, but I'm still going to be his person. I'm taking responsibility of this man. I will reimburse anything. How many times do we carry people from where they are 
to where we know that God desires them to be, a better place, a place of healing, hope. And then we empower other people to care too, and then say, but at the end of the day, like, I still, still for them. I will reimburse. I'll be here to carry this. You see, often I, I, I never realized this uh, until I read this story again with this perception, this perspective, uh, that the beautiful thing is when we carry someone to a place of healing in our modern day world, a place of healing is our churches. They, like, uh, often a place of healing is a place where someone can be seen by other believers who have the opportunity to house them, uh, house their emotions that day, to house uh, their, their pains, to provide them resources, to, to, to give them, to comfort them. I mean, I got to tell you, when my mom passed away, I was carried to the local church. And it was the local church who provided for our, my family uh, our Christmas presents. Uh, it was on December 3rd, my mom passed away. My, my family had zero money for, for us to get Christmas presents. And so our church took it upon themselves to meet that. They were going to do that. And so our tree that Christmas was packed more than ever before. Um, mom was not there, but our house was decorated as if she would have done it herself. They did it. And what we don't realize is that we have an opportunity every Sunday to provide someone with a place of healing that exists way outside of Sunday because it's a community that we can bring them to be a part of. It's an inn where they're waking up with people, going to sleep in close quarters with people, where they're living life with people. And we don't take advantage of that. Church becomes about me and what I can do and how I can be fed instead of a place where we bring people into. (sighs) It's all because we enable. We enable them to stay in their isolation. We enable them to stay in their place of pain. But I cannot be for who I enable. So this morning, I just want to ask you this question. Do you move with the hurting to a place of healing? Do you move with the hurting to a place of healing? So as we end, I want to invite you to join me in the humbling questions of, Jesus, who do I avoid? I want to invite you to the humbling question of, Jesus, who have I deemed myself above? And ask the humbling question of, Jesus, who am I enabling in my life? Because there could be a whole list, if we actually did this, if we actually did the work of this, there could be a whole list of people under each of those questions that God is saying, I need you to be for what I am for. And I've been speaking into those lives for some time, and you have yet to just speak it to And that's all he wants us to do. I've always said Glory Church will never bring anything new into the city. God's already doing something amazing here, right? You've heard me say this. He's already doing something. He's already speaking. He's already moving. He's already at work. He's already answering fears and speaking truth into lies. All our job is to say is, God, let us join you in speaking that. And so there's a whole list of names that can go under that, that you can start saying, God, how are you already loving them? And how can I move from a place of pity to a place of compassion? How can I move from a place of of pride, of selfishness, to a place of humility? God, how can I move to a place where I'm willing? 
Because I want to be a church that's for people. I want to be a church where people come in and they know they're loved, cared for. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.